Rest yourself. Wait, wait, pause at the front, at the back. Can we say it with us? Rest yourself before you wreck yourself. Okay, so this happened out of a real simple moment um, and a very deep concept at the very same time. As your pastor and uh, just hearing and being in the church, uh, having a real moment like Paul does, right? Like Paul writes letters, seeing the temperature and the tone of what's happening. And he's, he's talking to them about different practices and things that have to happen. And over the last few months, I've been kind of hearing a lot of people and not just in church, it's been like, it seems like everywhere. I don't know if that's the case of when you want to buy a red car. You see a red car everywhere, but it feels like the world is wanting rest and no one knows where to find it. How many times do we say things like, man, I've been on vacation, but I could have gone for another two weeks. Or you go on vacation and you feel rested. You've done the cucumbers on the eyes. You've done it all. And then you get to work and like three days in, you're like, I'm ready for another vacation. Why is the weekend not enough? Why is eight hours not as good as nine hours? Why do we seem to need more even though we do the rest thing? And even when we do it, there is still something. There is something in that. And recently what I realized was that, man, we need rest because we turn into the worst version of ourselves without it. I did the silly thing that no parent should do. Uh, I'm going to confess and be open as your pastor. I make mistakes. I did a 22-hour road trip this this summer. It was a bad decision um, because the kids were tired, I was tired, and what I noticed was that everybody in the car was starting to get angry, and my kids were starting to say things like, Madden's looking at me. <laughs> I was like, you're, you're upset because someone's looking at you. <laughs> okay. I didn't even know how to rule in that moment as the judge and jury of that car. I didn't know what to do. I was like, stop looking at her. <laughs> and I looked at my wife, I go, someone's tired. Which, isn't that one of the most frustrating things to hear? Someone's tired. And the next day, um, I didn't get much sleep, and I'm stomping around the house and getting cereal and opening it and just pouring it. And my wife looks at me and she just goes, someone's tired. <laughs> right there and then, we had to go to counseling. Because <laughs> no one wants to hear that. But it was true. And the truth is this. I want to put it out there that maybe your calling isn't the problem. Maybe they didn't look at you as badly as you think they looked at you. Maybe you're not that in the wrong place. Maybe it's not the marriage. Maybe your marriage partner is exactly who they need to be. Maybe you're just tired. And I want to dive into the concept of rest because I don't think we know how to do it. What we mostly think is that rest is physical before anything else. But there's going to be a bit of unpacking that we need to do because Jesus says this very famous verse. And if we dive into it, we're going to find out that there's something else happening. I've got a lot to try to teach in this moment. I've got 22 minutes to do it. But I had to set that premise up and we're going to dive in. I hope that we get through it all. But I'm going to run through it a little quick. Is that okay? All right. I love you. You're awesome. Okay. Um, rest yourself before you wreck it. That is so big. I have to do this. Okay. Um, can we please go to, let's start with Exodus. And this is a moment that we've got to dive into because it is, uh, it is Moses and he's about to cross over. He's going to experience an enemy. And uh, God just says to him, I'm not coming with you. God's out. He's had enough. He actually says in the verses prior, you're a stiff-necked people and I won't have anything to do with it. If I travel with you for a bit, I might destroy you. At which point I'd be happy for him to stay behind. 
Um, but this is not good enough for Moses. Moses, in fact, then separates himself from the people. He goes and he takes what is an ordinary tent, but he named it the tent of meeting. We're going to come back to that. We're going to talk about how ordinary things can be actually assigned a spiritual purpose. How what you have can be given and devoted to God in order to really gain rest. So Moses goes, and he goes into the tent of meeting, and uh, when he goes through, we watch a small part of conversation with God, but yet it is important because what is hidden within this verse is four fundamental theological rests that we have to understand in order to get to this journey of real rest. Let's go to it real quick. Let's go. It says this. So Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will, uh, sorry, you, who you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found, it's hard to keep up with the lines when it's that close, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. Everyone say ways. So I may know you and continue to find favor. Everyone say favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Very, 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 very important little thing here. As we dive into it, what we're going to find out is that the word rest in the Hebrew is noah. And that word noah, there's a derivative of it called Noah. I don't have time to dive into it, but a very beautiful little message hidden in the genealogy of Noah that speaks about this very concept. And it also talks about God's plan for salvation in the names of the seven people just before um, Noah, including Noah, incredible little gem that is hidden there. But this word noir means rest, and it has four major theological ties, okay? We're going to put them up there. Number one, it is this. The first rest we get is death. Bit morbid, I know, but it went very quiet, and I don't need it. I'm glad you didn't say amen. (laughs) It means you really grabbed the concept of the agreement. Uh, We don't want an amen there. Um, but it says that basically it's obvious, right? Our first point of rest is death. We rest from this world and the turmoil and the troubles of it. It is the first concept of biblical rest that we find. The second one is this. It is spiritual and psychological rest. This means that basically there's a lack of problems. You ever want that? That's what we mainly go to church for, if we're honest. When we first go in, buy into this, we're like, man, if I am faithful, there will be a lack of problems. And this psychological rest typically comes from the fact that we do the things that God calls us to do. This is why Noah is saying, let, let me know your ways. As I know your ways, then your favor will be with me. And when there is favor, when I do things, when I raise a child in the way that he should go, when I do the things that God has called me to do, when I tithe, when I forgive, when I do all the things that are Christ-like things, I give my psych- my, my psychological and spiritual spaces a rest because it garners favor and it's the way to do life, right? The third one is this, and it is martial. This is when God with his presence comes in and defeats the enemies. This is partly what he's talking to Moses in this moment. I'm going to go with you and I'm going to defeat your enemies and therefore you will have rest. This one starts to cross over into relevance for us because it's got the next kind of of rest tones, which we'll go into that and then I'll tie these together. Number four is this, soteriological. Soteriological rest is the rest that comes by way of salvation. Salvation. It is interesting because this is one of the things that God offers us, sends his son for, and he is saying that there is rest and salvation. 
Well, there is rest and salvation because if you understand the concepts of salvation, there's a whole bunch of things that take place. In fact, in salvation, it has martial overtones to it or undertones because God comes in and he defeats the enemy just like he defeated the devil. And if the devil can't pursue you anymore, then you have rest, rest for your soul. Something changes, and I think if we want to find rest, something about the way we do life has to change. If we keep thinking that a weekend away or going to play your favorite thing, I know that avid ice hockey players here, and there's a bunch of Brazilians, so you love tennis. Um, <laughs> I don't know. And we do that, right? Often I'll go and I'll, 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 I call it a discipleship walk, it's golf. And I'm out with the Lord for hours, and yet I come home and I'm tired. Why? Because what rest in, it, I guess, needs is not you doing nothing in isolation, is you making your way back to connection. When you find yourself in the presence of God, God your Savior is present and your enemy has to flee. There is something that happens where rest actually happens. Let me put it to you this way. Have you ever noticed that when you first started dating your significant other, you could talk all night? Oh my God, you're so great. You're so beautiful. Oh my gosh, really? Oh my gosh, I'm from America. I'm, in, I'm from India, but I'm in Canada. I don't know who I'm talking about. But I'm just saying that there's this sense that you just rest and you're just good when you first get the first job. Oh my gosh, I love this job. When you go to the church and you're there for the first few weeks, this church is amazing. And then all of a sudden, you start to get a little tired. And when you get tired, you notice that they talk too much. And you're like, really, can we just go to bed? And then you start to say things like, really? You're always so bright and optimistic. And all oh, this church is always praising and wanting responses. And this city, and we start to get cynical. We don't see bad when we're good. Because we're not tired yet. But when you're tired... Everything irks you. Do you have to chew so loud? Why are you snoring? I can't believe how. It's all sorts of things. The truth is that as we get tired, we start to get frustrated. And the rest we need is, and I'm just, this is the point I'm trying to make here. The rest you need is not more time off. And the rest you need is not a weekend away. Groupon cannot solve the rest you need. And the favorite sport you play, not going to do it. The right consistency in a latte, not the problem. The problem is this, that God fundamentally birthed us into a place of rest. Can we just go for a second to Matthew and read God's response to a tired humanity? Just for a second, humanity is tired. And this is what God sends. And Jesus gets up and he declares this. This is what Jesus says. This is everything he has to offer us who are tired. He doesn't say, let's go, come here for two hours and uh, we might do a timeshare. No, Jesus is not selling timeshares. This is what he gives right here. Are you ready? And it says this, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Sounds like God has a plan. We're going to hear about rest. Jesus is going to offer rest in a second, but yet he is making it very clear that this plan has been hidden in the beginning of time. More on that in a second. And then it says, all things have been committed to me, my father. No one knows the, the, the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son. 
and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what the burden of Christ is? It's real easy. It is light and it has been referenced by Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King said it this way. It is easy. I choose love because hate is too great a burden to bear. Jesus says this. Love, your, love my father with all your soul. Love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then love your neighbor as you love yourself. The thought and the implication here is when I love God with everything I have, I love me because God created me. And if I love me and have healthy respect for me, healthy measure for me, I respect the people to my left and my right in the same measure. This is the burden of Christ, to love. So that means forgiveness is at the forefront. So the burden that he is talking about is easy. We often interpret that burden as ministry and saving the world and just to be a good person. And that seems so difficult and heavy. No, the burden is sustained love. That's a soul space. But it needs a connection much deeper than that. And I might have to do that in a part two. Who knows? I might have to come back next week. I wish I could. Maybe I can. I don't know. Um, what is he saying? So if you pick up on it, he's talking about salvation. The fancy word for salvation is soteriological. He's providing rest via salvation. He's saying that if you would include me in your life, you'll know rest. You know that rest from that identity issue, that rest from that eating disorder, that rest from that thing that chases you down, that rest from those problems, that rest from the financial, the rest from the world and the way it encroaches on you. You're an empath and you feel everything and your compassion is bigger than your faith, which will always fracture you. Because if your compassion is bigger than your faith, you basically are saying two very undertoned things. I care more than God and I don't see how he can fix this. It's heavy. And we get tired, and Jesus comes in, and he walks on the scene. He's like, come to me. It sounds like a movie thing, scene. Come to me, all you who need rest, come to me. And what he's saying is, I am the Savior. My Father gave me everything, and if I can become the center of your life, if you would come through me, I will give you a rest that no one else can give you. This is my thought for every single Christian in this room, and for anyone that is not a Christian yet, and it is this. It is summed up in this point, and it is that we grossly underutilize rest. And we underutilize rest because we underutilize our salvation. We treat salvation a little bit more like, let's say you're drowning and, and Pastor Stefan saves you and he's, you know, he runs out on the beach, he's got red shorts on. Maybe we should bypass that part of the vision. And he saves you and you're just like, oh my gosh, you save me, and you build a monument right there on the beach. You never leave. Three weeks later, he's like, how are you? What are you doing? You're like, saved. <laughs> How's your marriage? I haven't been home. Uh, I'm saved. That man forgets the purpose of somebody risking their life. Salvation is not the end, it's the beginning. Salvation is what you do with it. Salvation is invitation to life. Salvation is life and life more abundantly. So I want to ask you how many of us are stuck on the starting line and not doing anything with a thing called salvation. But if we're going to do something with it, let's understand the mechanics of it. There's this thing in the Bible, it's called the first rule of mention. You know what that is? It means this. If you want to understand it, you've got to go back to where it started. Well, salvation in this 
in this verse, it has sabbatic, like it has Sabbath, like all written to it. It is tied to it. Where do we first find the Sabbath? We find it when God created us. Cool little thing about Genesis for me, it's my favorite book. Okay, it's in the big, it's old school, it's everything. I like old school rap, I like old school books. Okay, it is amazing. It is an incredible book because there is so much incredible theology and, and, and understanding of God just hidden in the first two chapters. We're going to read a chapter right now. But what I want you to notice is this, that we are going to read a chapter where God formed man. But that's not when God created man. There's a gap between his creation and his forming. Something very beautiful about that. It means that even in the beginning, you were in his mind. The moment you chose to exist in this year, even though you went through problems you went through in this life, even though you went through hurts that you went through, you must know this, that God had you in mind, but yet he formed you in the exact time that he wanted you. He, bro he breathed breath when he needed you to exist here on earth. He formed you. There is a gap between God's creation and his forming. Another test that what happens in the visible starts in the unseen. Some of us are tired because we haven't seen his dream come to pass yet. We haven't seen it. I, you promised, you said, I've been serving. I've been in this kingdom thing for so long, God. But God creates things and then there's gaps before he forms them. Creation is an assurance. Forming is the subject that you and I live in the concept of time, the now and the not yet, the what is and the is to come. I want to tell you that there is assurance in this concept that you can start resting from the simple fact that whilst you haven't seen it yet, it's already created. Your breakthrough is created. Your healing created. And there is a gap often between its creation and its forming, but just know that your God is a God of guarantees. And that he does do what he said he will do. And this is what we find in this moment. He forms. And we've got to dive into this. Because I want to just give you a little hint. Let's read it. I'm going to give you a few hints so that we can get into this. Okay, it says this. And the Lord God formed man. I'm going to read it quick. A man from the dust. Oh, I've got to do this. Uh, it's like I'm limboing in church. Uh, just read it, Chris. From the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden. It just takes a... just random diversion here, the, the, the Bible. Hey, we're talking about man. By the way, did I tell you I made a garden? Okay. All right. Uh, planted a garden in the east, very specific, uh, in Eden, and there he put the man and he had, that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees, we're diverting again, grows out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's just leave it right there. Let's note something here. If we're going to understand rest, we've got to understand one simple thing. This verse precedes the Sabbath. This is the moment where God says he created everything and then God rested. The very next verse drops down and this is what we read. It means that God created us from the beginning, but he formed us in a place of rest. Now, you and I, we're, we're part of the fall, but as humankind, we were born into rest. We were, what does that look like? You've got to understand that back in the day, like in, in these, the day, in these times, this was unheard of. You know what gods did? Every concept of God created humanity because God didn't like to work. They, what do we do? I don't want to work this stuff. Let's make humans. They'll garden for us. No, no, no. What we see here is that not even rain had been done yet, yet God brought provision. He birthed humanity 
into everything they were called to do. He birthed them into relationship. And then all of a sudden, what we see is if we know our Bible, we know that Adam walked with God. Just walking. What's that, Adam? A giraffe. Where'd you get that name from? I don't know. I don't know. I kicked something in the garden. It was giraffe. And I was like, that's what it is. I love you, God. I love you too, Adam. Just walking, having fun, living life. Hey, Adam, where are you? I'm here. Just living. But there's a little clue hidden for us here. The tree is called the tree of knowledge. It's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in essence, it's a tree of knowledge. And the knowledge we gain is good and bad. Let me take you to the first moment in your life when something bad was opened up to you. And how from that moment, you now had tasted it, you often couldn't shut it off. You ever notice that when we open a door to something, all of a sudden, now that we are aware to it, we are now subject to it? The first time that thing flew across your screen, the first time you tasted, the first time you indulged, the first time you did too much, the first time you swore, the first time you did anything, anything that we do quite often becomes the first of many others. Why? Because we have been awakened through the fall to the knowledge of both good and evil, meaning we can choose. But there's something even better hidden in this title. It's the simple word knowledge. Did God want us to stay away from knowledge? That's so adverse. I mean, if you're woke, knowledge is your prerogative. If you're woke, by the way, if you were woke to everything, you are going to be the epitome of grumpy. Because if you're awake to everything, everything's going to frustrate you soon because you need to rest. And you're not the answer to every problem in the world. Even though the strain that humanity is putting on humanity is that you need to know about every event and you need to have the perfect response to every event. The reality is I'm not Jesus, I can't be. I've got to fix me. Because I can only love my neighbor as I love myself. No, we, we, we strive as humans. The point of our pride is knowledge. I know better. I mean, can you believe our parents? I mean, gosh, they knew nothing. We know everything, yet we're taking things backward. Why? Because knowledge is not the key. So what did man live with before knowledge? He lived in a relationship with God. And what comes from a relationship with God is this awesome word called revelation. The things that God wants to show you, tell you, give you, is what you need. Anything beyond that is a burden. It's an absolute burden. Everything beyond that, every stress. Oh, but God, and this is how it works through our brokenness and our humanity, and this is where I get into next week. But, you know, you've been cheated on once, and now you've been awakened to that. And so now in this next relationship, you have knowledge, and now you're sitting there, and you question every moment with the new person because the old person hurt you. You've got knowledge. And when you build this database of knowledge of hurts and pains and things and reference points, now faith is in direct competition with what you know and what you've experienced. That's why what this man right now is saying seems like foolishness. And that's why man, why Jesus quotes this verse. He says, I love what you did, God, for it was foolishness to some, but it was exactly what you had in store. God wants to cause us to rest. And before we get into Sabbath, we got to understand that Sabbath starts with dependence and understanding this, that unless God has revealed it to me, I have no business going for it. 
I know it seems so foolish, like really, really, Chris? What about, no, unless God has revealed it, unless God is leading you, prompting you, speaking to you, hey, it is time to move, it is time to go. And if we do not do that, the absolute crazy effect is that we get way down. God has already commanded, go, forgive. And yet we don't forgive. No, we do not hold the same grace towards everybody else that he has extended to us. No, we do not like live by the biblical principles that he gives us like, hey, be generous and, and tithe and, and be planted in a house, be known by somebody. No, we don't do those things because our knowledge tells us that we have a better way. Yet in the garden, there was just revelation. There was just walking in proximity with God and God saying, hey, come here, come left, come right, stay, pause, stop, don't touch, don't eat. But yet we did. You know why? It's hidden in the verse two because... Um, all the trees were good for food and they looked pleasing to the eye. You know why you keep choosing the things you choose? Because they're attractive. That pursuit of that title, the look you share with the other person in the office even though you're married. It's a tree you shouldn't touch. There's a lie hidden in the tree. Same thing that the devil did. And he says this, you're not going to surely die, are you? You know what I've noticed about humanity? The only safeguard we really have is imminent death. If we know that we will die, we won't do it. But if we think there might be life a little longer, we'll flirt. We'll be like Samson, dating Delilah. He got crazy, that man. He was saying all sorts of stuff. One of them, he says, if you tie me up with wet leather thongs. I was like, man, Samson, you need... <laughs> Samson... You, that's a whole nother series, Samson, but you need some help, okay? I know what you and Delilah are getting into, but this is wrong. He flirted because there was always the what if. This isn't my guarantee. And it's that lack of guarantee that Eve would surely die, that she reached for something that put knowledge in her hands and choice within her realm. And it was only because it was attractive. I want to preach for a second and ask you, via the Holy Spirit this week, I want you to start to make a list of those things that are attractive, but yet not God-directed. What are those things that you're running for? Because they offer you security. They offer you identity. They offer you happiness. Yet there is things that are waiting for you right in front of you because rest is when we get back in a relationship with God. If we get back in a relationship with God, I'm going to unpack it because I don't have any more time. It's real simple. The real simple equation is if I'm back in a relationship with God, the presence of God, it actually starts to lead me. When the presence of God leads me, I'm back in his ways. Just like Moses all the way in Exodus says, show me your ways that I might gain your favor because when I have your favor, when you're with me, things work out you want rest start doing the things that God's impressing on your heart they are scary and they are wild but I promise you they will give you more rest than ever before. have you ever done it remember the last time you did something exhilarating and crazy like God says join a small group I remember my first small group back then they called them cell groups unfortunate name try explaining that to your unsaved father dad I'm going to cell group what are you doing son and I remember I was so afraid. You know what they told me? They said it meets in a hotel room. No, in a hotel lobby. Now, I was the most insecure person in the world. And I was thinking, great, I'm going to be the only fool walking through like a hotel lobby like a spy movie. Is this a cell group? <laughs> Have you got the cell group? <laughs> Keyword, did you download the study? Like, 
This is me walking through a foyer. I'm freaked out. I'm like, oh, my God. I felt like God say, Chris, you got to get around other people. Why? Because, Chris, you cannot be alone. Chris, there is something called fellowship. It's when Christians come together. Why is that something? I'll tell you why. Because the soul is something you and I have. But when Jesus comes into the equation and by salvation, something else in you activates. I'll even tell you why. For some of you, there's an inclination that what I'm saying is real. For some of you, you're coming alive, your heart's beating, and you're not quite there yet. For some of you, you feel like it could be you, but not sure yet. I'll tell you why. There is an unformed part of you that is not awake yet. That unformed part of you is your spirit man. Your spirit man only comes to life when Jesus becomes your Savior. That's why when Jesus is there with a Pharisee called Nicodemus and he's talking to him, he's like, you must be born again. He's like, where? Go back to my mother's womb? He probably looked back at his other Pharisees. <laughs> this guy. And Jesus says, no, you must be born in the Spirit. Theologically, we're three people in one. Three in one, just like the Godhead. Flesh. Let me put it this way, we got flesh. I'll, what time, I've got to wrap my altar call up real quick, but I just want to make sure we don't get kicked out. There's five, you're doing 10 fingers, okay. <laughs> she was saying 10, but she was saying five. Which basically meant, I want you to go for five, but you have 10. Um, <laughs> I love Kylie, she's the best. Okay, real quick. We have, we have flesh. Desires. The Bible is very clear in Romans that the deeds of the flesh, the sexual immorality, all sorts of things like lying, envy, uh, also that, that's, that's the flesh. And over here you have the soul. Your soul is your cognizance, your mind, will, and emotions. It's right here. It's, it's there and it's, it's got desires and it's got things. And really up until Jesus, it takes its cues from the flesh. The flesh is like, oh, she's hot. The soul's like, I'm lonely. Let's partner. Wink. Girl walks past, you got something in your eye? No. I'm lonely. Dang it. Flesh. It wants things. It fills its life with the things that it wants. That's why drug addictions and, and, and you could be addicted to work ethic. You could be addicted to approval. You could be addicted to opinion. But it says something because your flesh has desires and your soul, mind, it has things. But up until Jesus, what is running your life is knowledge things you've come to know in your cognizance. You've learned. It's good to do. It's great to do. My dad always told me. My mom always said, seven people broke up with me, so therefore I'll be. And then you've got the flesh, this thing that is this ravenous desire pit that will never be fulfilled, driving and wanting more. And then here comes Jesus. While all of humanity is absolutely tired, and guess what? It's no different today. Christians all over the world are saved, camping on a beach because they've been pulled out of the water, yet they are stuck on a, on a starting line of life, underutilizing salvation. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes in and goes, hey, I, I have an answer. I can solve the weariness and the burden of your soul. And the way that I will solve it He's, I'm about to go into the, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. And I will be your salvation. Because the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. The first Adam got us kicked out of the garden. We basically were born into blessings, but we died to it. And we were birthed into this world, into burden. 
we, we experienced what it is to work hard and not be fulfilled. And then yet he had a plan. Because even from the beginning, what God creates is different to the timing in which he forms things. He sent a Messiah, and that Messiah came with an option. And that Messiah is like, I will die so that you can gain entry back into rest. I will make a way for you to walk with the Father again. We're not going to go back to a garden, but proverbial garden, we will walk in again. You will walk in revelation. You will walk alive in the Spirit. You will die to burden and be birthed back into blessing. I will show you how to do things. Just take my yoke, my ways. And you will find rest. And I will birth in you. The same spirit that will rise me from the dead will be in you. So now, all of a sudden, your soul, mind, will, and emotions, they're there. And the flesh is saying things. You get saved in church. And all of a sudden, you're like, you're like you know, this girl walks past. And you're like, oh, she's hot. I'm lonely. And some little voice goes, but that won't fill you. And you're like, Who's, who goes there? Spirit man. Your spirit man has been brought to life. And it is in relationship with God. And all of a sudden, your soul has a separate CEO. It used to be CEO Fleshman. CEO Fleshman ordered bottle service. CEO Fleshman downed the hot dogs, looked at the women, looked at the men, flirted with all the temptations because CEO Spirit Man had no bounds. But CEO Spirit Man is a great CEO, only moves by the bylaws and the bylaws of the Bible. Spirit Man will sit there and tell you things like, hey, you need a new friend group. Hey, you should get a little less cynical and critical. Hey, you should forgive a bit more. Hey, you should find yourself in the presence of God on a Sunday, not because it's a rule, but because it's an opportunity. Hey, you should pay for that person's coffee. Hey, you should not text back. Hey, you shouldn't look at that. And spirit man, he's starting to come alive through relationship with Jesus. We are gained back into the garden and you and I can live by revelation. I want to finish by simply saying, if you are in this room and you're a Christian, the CEO that rules is the CEO you feed. You keep feeding this guy, he'll ruin your boardroom table. You feed this guy through prayer and praise and amen when you hear a good God phrase, through Sabbath, through godly relationships, through deliverance, redemption, living in your purpose, all of a sudden spirit man starts to gain strength. And when he runs your life, you live in a place of rest. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I wanna offer you what was offered to me at 19. That this concept that was making my heart flutter was not motivational speaking, it was spirit man saying, bring me to life. Let me go. I was made for this moment, now I'm being formed. Do you know that in Genesis, God breathed? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is seen as a breath? The Holy Spirit wants to breathe on your heart breathe on your spirit and bring it to life so that you can live in a place of rest. I'm not preaching perfection. I'm not offering you, you're gonna be better overnight. I'm offering you have a new CEO to consult. That when you get up the morning and it says you're worthless, CEO spirit man says you're made in the image of God and we won't speak like that anymore. I'm gonna sack that person in that seat. They've gotta go. Negative self-talk, you don't have a seat in this boardroom anymore. If you're saying, Chris, that's me. I need Jesus. The Bible says it simply. If I could believe with my heart, confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ died and rose again, I shall be saved. 